Welcome to Stories We Don't Tell, a podcast about storytelling. Stories We Don't Tell is a monthly event in Toronto that features candid stories of strength and resilience. I threw out my prayers, they went flying like balloons. The air whipped our hair, we went shooting down the valley. Knuckles gripped upon the handles, shivers rushing down my spine. What's a blind? It's 3 a.m. and I'm walking down College Street with this guy that I know from work looking for late night pizza. We pause at a stoplight and I'm surprised when he leans in to kiss me. We've just come from a birthday party where we set out to drink all of the wounded soldiers, all of the mostly full beers that people had left behind. And so when all of the beer was gone and all of the other party guests were gone, I convinced him to take on a new mission with me, which was to find pizza at 3 in the morning. Two weeks before this birthday party, I'd moved out of the apartment that I shared with my boyfriend of five and a half years. Four months before that, we decided to take a break, a rumspringa of sorts, to, get a, <laughs> to escape from the heaviness that was consuming our relationship. Together, we'd survived three cities, two apartments, one funeral, my dad's, and one month into our rumspringa, we made the agonizing decision not to renew our lease, to find out who we would be without each other. And the last time I was single, I was 19 years old. I was a student at this really small liberal arts college where everybody drank too much and engaged in the kind of college hookup culture that you used to read about in magazine trend pieces. My ex-boyfriend and I got together at this party called Chains of Love, where anybody could anonymously nominate pairs who would be handcuffed together for the rest of the night. <laughs> if you accepted your chain, you would just show up at the party and hope that you didn't hate the person that you found yourself cuffed to. The next year, during fourth year, he and I had to have a serious conversation about how we were going to approach 100 days. And this was a party that happened 100 days before graduation that was kind of promoted as your last opportunity to make out with any of the acquaintances that you might have wanted to make out with <laughs> during your four years of college. And people would bring a Sharpie and just keep a tally on their arm. It was a rampage. <laughs> so, so when my late night pizza companion leaned in to kiss me, I kind of, I kind of freeze because... I haven't been in this position for so long, and I'm pretty sure that things are probably a little different at 25 than they were at 19, and it honestly didn't even occur to me that things might go this way tonight. So I size him up. He's a pretty funny guy. He, he has dark hair and like a really skinny body that I think that I would like next to my body because I've always liked really skinny bodies. <laughs> um, but we work in the same building, and I usually see him a couple times a week, and this is the exact scenario that's been giving me anxiety since I became single. The first boy that I made out with in college was named Scott. One night during orientation, we stayed up until four in the morning just talking, and then he leaned in and really sweetly kissed me before we went back to our respective dorms. Two days later, the visual class list came out, and it turned out that he was in half of my classes. But by that time, it had become pretty clear that we weren't really in the same social circles. So I would greet him really enthusiastically and ask him if he was wearing socks with his combat boots and other like, important social questions. Uh, yeah. Later, we developed a sort of friendship where we would sneak away from parties at midnight to play air hockey. 
After that, I made out with a series of third-tier college athletes. I didn't have a cell phone, so I couldn't drunk dial or drunk text these guys, but our campus was really small, so I spent way too much of my first year trying to put myself in the line of vision of this same string of D3 third-tier college athletes. I, you know, it was just such a coincidence when I would run into Cliff grabbing an apple in the middle of my meal, or how convenient that Joe and I are just in the keg line at the same time <laughs> together. You know, we're just two acquaintances, practically strangers, occupying this public space as if we hadn't also occupied the same bed earlier in the week. Cliff got arrested uh, later, and Joe actually got married earlier this spring. So if something's going to happen between me and my late-night pizza companion, I want a little agency this time. I want us to decide together whether we're going to be the kind of people who greet each other enthusiastically and maybe go on to play air hockey, or we're going to be just the kind of people who occupy the same space silently, letting our bodies pretend to be strangers. And on the walk back to my apartment, I decide that I should just ask him how we're going to act if something happens. He suggests that we can just say good morning, like we normally do. But I already know this is impossible, so I start to lay out the options. There, I don't have any pizza at home, so I put some kernels in the air popper, and as we sit at the kitchen table, I tell him that we have to decide right now, before it's awkward, whether... <laughs> whether we're going to be best friends or strangers in the morning. I tell him that these are the only two options and that I think it's better if we decide mutually so that we don't always have to gauge when we see each other. Since we'd previously tried to drink all of the beers at the party, this explanation takes a really long time. And just before 5 in the morning, he points out that the conversation is going to be irrelevant soon because there's not going to be any time for anything to actually happen between us. So I invite him to my bedroom. I, I bring the bowl of popcorn with me. Wow. I don't know if you've ever moved from a spacious two-bedroom apartment with two balconies into an 8-foot by 11-foot room in a shared apartment, but it's a pretty big change. On moving day, I pushed all of the boxes against the wall, and I stuffed my duvet into a flannel duvet cover printed with powder blue geometric shapes that I'd somehow inherited from my ex-boyfriend's aunt. I hung this giant 3-foot by 5-foot streaky blank canvas above the bed for storage. I had these three large sheets of white canvas left over from grad school, and then when we moved to Toronto, my boyfriend started making frames so that I could stretch them and make a triptych of our lives together. Before we broke up, he'd only had the time to make one frame. I spent the, I spent the summer of our rum springer just covering it and really watered down gesso, and it hung now above my bed. So my late night companion takes in the wall of boxes and the powder blue geometric shapes and he looks at the canvas and he asks me if it's art. <laughs> He's surprised that I own an entire shelf's worth of books and I don't know what to make of that. I put the popcorn bowl down and then this time when he kisses me I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised but I'm overwhelmed by how different it is. I haven't touched a new person like this in over five years. His body and his voice and his breath are so unfamiliar that they distract me. I pull away more than once just to make sure that nothing's wrong, to make sure that I'm not misunderstanding this unfamiliar body and voice and breath. In the morning, we're very hungover. As he starts to leave my room, 
I stop him. So, which is it? Best friends or strangers? Best friends, I guess? We never did play air hockey, but he did give me a cupcake once. Thank you. started with the story yeah so we just heard a story that i told in the spring about a encounter encounter yeah i guess that's a way to put it with a gentleman so we're going to talk about well uh, we've been saying that we're going to talk about writing about exes Mm -hmm. but i mean in that instance i would not describe that gentleman as an ex yeah um more just like a person that i knew still Mm -hmm. sort of know Mm -hmm. um who i don't speak to regularly so i did not I was writing about someone that I don't see anymore. Yeah. Who, in my case at least, like, we're definitely still in kind of overlapping social circles. Mm-hmm. So while I don't think that he's curious enough about me that he would have, like, listened to a podcast of an <laughs> event that I did, yeah, it's not beyond the realm of possibility that he could have heard it uh-huh. or that somebody there could have told them about it. Mm-hmm. Like, let me just throw in a fun anecdote and then we'll have a real conversation. Okay. So this gentleman knows my roommate and ran into her on the street one day and she mentioned that she had just moved in with me because she had she uh. said oh yeah i just moved in with brianne and he was like oh you live with brianne <laughs> oh really it was that kind of laugh yeah yeah that's a that's an interesting laugh and this was clearly before i had told the story but she knew this story already so she thought it was she knew she knew what it was about we're we're kind of interested to do one episode about people that we have had some kind of a relationship with, and it could be somebody that was a partner for a while. I would say that our our almost friendship, uh-huh. our almost best friendship, yes. some might say, if they had just heard the story. Yes. Um, I mean, it was more than just that encounter, but we probably could have been actual friends if I hadn't been mm-hmm. a little bit bananas at that time in my life. Yeah. Well, and it, so. w- w- what's some, something that we were we were interested to talk about is is how do you talk about somebody that, uh, you know, in these particular conversations, these two conversations that we're going to have, um, there's going to be one about where you still have a, a relationship with this person and you're talking about them and how do you do that. But for today, we're going to be more, this person is, uh, for me anyways, yeah. totally out, out, out of my life. Yeah. And this is something that comes up a lot, you know, people aren't with writing breakup stories, relationships, and also friendships that have fallen apart, like stories that are about that kind of thing, or if you're estranged from a family member, like mm-hmm. there are lots of times when we want to tell a story about someone who doesn't get to doesn't get to tell their side, kind yeah. of, which is a totally unfair way of representing any part of storytelling, but that's okay. Well, that's always seems to be the, or I was going to say the problem, but it's not a problem. It's more of a challenge to, uh, I mean, for me personally, is... I don't, there's nothing malicious in it. Mm-hmm. There's nothing like I'm trying to get, a, I have the microphone, so I'm going to just tell my side of it. I, uh, I try and be conscious anyways of to, to make that person into, uh, you know, an actual person, mm-hmm. helping me figure out w- what I did and where I was in the situation. Yeah. And I think like some guidelines for that have to do with you only get to speak, like you get to tell your own story. And so other people who overlapped with you are going to show up in it, but you can't, or you need to try not to attribute intent to them. Like we can't really speak about how other people 
felt, mm-hmm. we can say if they conveyed it or we can say how they looked or we can say how we interpreted it. Mm-hmm. But we have a responsibility to at least try to um, to make it clear that that's what we're saying. Mm-hmm. And especially in, I think these kinds of stories, like we'll be telling a story where we feel hurt or sad or embarrassed, you know, depending on what kind of encounter it was. Yeah. And, uh, and we're definitely in that moment, like projecting all kinds of crap onto them because that's what's informing how we feel. And the challenge of writing that kind of thing is trying to find a way to make it clear that we're projecting that onto them. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I think that this person is judging me or mad at me or whatever. Because that way you're not necessarily putting words into their mouth or their thoughts or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, thoughts in their head. Um, and something that has really helped me quite a bit in whenever talking about this is the question of uh, why, and then I've actually used this with other people that have come in then with relationship um, with stories about exes, is uh, wh- why do you, well, why do you want to tell the story? There's always that kind of question, but what was it about this person that made you had these strong feelings mm-hmm. in the first place anyways? Mm-hmm. Like if you're talking about a heartbreak or something that is in the past, there there was still a reason why you were with that person and that kind of just always made me think uh to you know make that person more of a three-dimensional person in the story Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, definitely and so people get worried because the question that we kind of alluded to already is like what if the person that i'm talking about who i don't have a relationship anymore what if they read this Mm -hmm. like i think that's really the fear it's it's less like what if i say something bad about someone and more what if someone reads my account of our story and we haven't talked about it so it doesn't even matter what you're saying at that point just Mm -hmm. like that the conversation is continued by um as a consequence of the fact that they read what you had to say about it Mm -hmm. so we wanted to talk about that a little bit yeah i uh it was i have a little just quick story where at the beginning um when i did start writing as uh, a while back when I did start writing just more personal stuff and in more personal ways. And I have a blog and I'm putting stuff up on there. And um, I had written an article or a, a, a blog entry and it was about relationship ending and all of that kind of stuff. An ex, but a different ex saw that stuff and she got very upset about it. And now I felt really terrible that she was upset and she was very upset at me, but what I what I kind of took from it, first of all, maybe I'm just, just justifying my position or anything or, or something like that, but I wonder if just she had such a strong re- emotional reaction to it because it was it was hard to read, but also kind of just an honest read, which, again, I wasn't being malicious towards anybody, but mm-hmm. it's hard. It is, I, I also just accepted the fact that if you are going to be talking about other people, you have to kind of be prepared in some way to deal with some kind of a reaction if somebody yeah. comes across something or don't do it. Yeah. And don't say it. Yeah. Like in that way, this is, this is kind of part of the challenge is it's like, don't say anything that you don't mean or don't, of course, don't say anything that didn't happen or that's mm-hmm. dishonest to the situation. So in the story that we just heard, like 
I mean, it's possible that I conflated some details or whatever. And I, to my knowledge, he hasn't heard it again. I don't know why he would, but he could, of course. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that he would just be like, yeah, that girl's got a bananas and that happened. Most of these stories are about this moment being in focus and then being in the context of what the rest of my life was like. So mm-hmm. the story that we just heard of mine, it was like, okay, well, here's some kind of nutty things that I said when I demanded that this poor gentleman decide if we were going to be best friends or strangers. Mm-hmm. But here's the anxiety that I was feeling and here's this place that I was in in my life in this moment. And so it's like trying to find context for that that's true for yourself. Um, you know, it's funny because we're, we're doing a two-story episode um, today. We're going to hear one um, of mine about an ex of mine. And I almost have the, the opposite um, situation mm-hmm. is that I've never heard from this person. And I... I w- you know, I'll, I'll sort of admit this, that in a way through all of this work that I've done, there's like a way that there, there is a part of me that was almost like, Oh, I wonder what she would like, has she ever heard any of this stuff? Has she ever read Mm -hmm. any of this stuff? And there is a part of me that is wondering because I never really had that sense of, um, closure or anything about that, about that relationship. There is still a part of me that is like, I wonder I do wonder, is there, am I trying to talk to her or say, this story especially I did at the, it ends with me sort of trying to write a letter Mm -hmm. that I wished I could have, or things I could have said to her. Mm -hmm. So I guess in a way it is part of these things. It's like putting it out into the universe. (laughs) Yeah, is trying to communicate um, to to people in different ways. I guess whether it it, uh, hits them or it's intentional or not. Um, Yeah, because it's like, here are the pieces of me that made this moment happen. Yeah. (laughs) Whether or not it made sense. And you're kind of searching for, like, what are the pieces of your life that made this moment happen? Mm -hmm. But you don't get those normally. No. You just get your longer narrative. Yeah. Well, should we have a listen to my story now? Yeah, let's take a listen. It was a few days before New Year's Eve and I was walking along a beach in Cuba. A local guy approached me, asked if I wanted to buy any Cuban cigars, to which I said no. Next he asked if I smoked weed. I didn't, so he asked if I wanted coke, that I looked more like a coke kind of guy. (laughs) I wondered why I looked like a coke kind of guy. Sure, I hadn't been eating properly for for the last few weeks and lost a lot of weight, I had bags under my eyes and friends were asking about my health, but still. I sat in the grounded plane taking me to Cuba that was delayed to a snowstorm. I've been having moments like these over the past couple of weeks, spaces of time where things stopped and where I sunk and drifted into my thoughts about her. I'd find myself staring off into space and replaying things, thinking that maybe if I was a different person, I could have made everything right. We were introduced through a mutual friend and met up a few times. Later, I asked her when she knew our friendship would move into new territory. Sitting on the gross couches at the back of Future's Bakery, sharing a piece of cheesecake and drinking beer, I just lightly touched her on the arm when telling a story. A small gesture, but one that made her realize that feeling of when you just know. For me, it was my nose. Since I was a kid, I tried to speak with people facing them straight on because in profile is just too much. But she, but she loved this thing on my face, like adored it. 
and she laughed endlessly when I'd bury it into the nape of her neck. When we broke up, she refused to speak with me, so I emailed her with a proposition. On a specific day, at a specific time, at a specific place, I'd be sitting at a cafe. If she wanted to, she could come by so we could just talk. If she didn't show up, I would go to the same cafe at the same time the following week. I needed some kind of closure. I needed just something, anything but this radio silence. But I arrived in Cuba and it was warm. I found the room suitable and beer was in the fridge, a balcony in the ocean and the beach and the local guy telling me I look like a Coke kind of guy. <laughs> and then I wondered, what if I were a guy that did Coke? So later that evening I, I ordered a beer at the bar and sat across, uh, sat a, across from two leathery-skinned Germans. I told them I was from Texas. They inquired about my lack of accent, and I explained that I was originally from Canada, but I had just been transferred. On that first night, I was a marketing executive, specializing in sport event promotions. <laughs> this was not so far from the truth. I did recently visit Texas for a business trip. Well, that was the only truthful element. She kept touching my thigh and he kept feeding me drinks. <laughs> I wondered if they were trying to make their twosome into a threesome. The marketing executive from Texas is one of those people who has breakup sex almost immediately. <laughs> well, me, the person pretending to be the marketing executive, has a sex drive that takes a nosedive after a relationship ends. So I sat outside on my balcony for the rest of the night drinking seven-year-old rum and quietly smoking the same kind of cigar as Castro. Almost every weekend, we would do something for each other. We called these our awesome days, which I know is cheesy, but whatever. <laughs> Alternating weeks, we would devise three to five activities that consisted of new experiences or something that the other person was interested in. We would then create a mobile PowerPoint and map that we would follow to each activity. <laughs> it was a way for us to have fun, but also learn what was important to each other. She laughed at all of my jokes, all of them. This was important to me. This made me ridiculously happy. When we'd be driving somewhere and she'd be, and she'd be giving me directions, whenever she said, turn left, I'd, I'd reply, turn left, right? She would pretend to be annoyed and I would keep saying it until she laughed, because I just think it's so funny. <laughs> on New Year's Eve, I was a writer on assignment commissioned by the made-up French-Canadian travel magazine, Destination. <laughs> I was to write a review about resorts in Cuba. So <laughs> I've read that magazine, said a woman that sat next to me at the bar. <laughs> Shit, am I speaking to the only French-Canadian woman here? I just couldn't do it, though. I could fake laugh, fake flirt, but nothing more than that. Midnight came and people paired off. I went back to my room, lying awake, unable to sleep due, due to the echo of late-night parties. The first time she broke up with me was also unexpected. But later that same evening, she showed up at my place in tears, saying she made the worst mistake of her life. When she broke up with me for real this time, on a nightly basis I arrived home and wished I would find her there again on my porch, having waited for me all day and telling me once again that she made a mistake. I took a bus to Havana. That day my name was Ernie, short for Ernest. 
My parents were obsessed with Ernest Hemingway, who lived in Cuba for a time. I found the hotel he stayed at and ordered a mojito at the bar. The woman sitting next to me asked if I was Canadian. I found myself introduced to Kim and Glenn. He owned a tattoo parlor, showing off angel wings on one arm and barbed wire around the other. I told them I was there to drink where Hemingway drank. I'd already been to his cat house in Florida, and I was saving for a trip to Spain for some bullfights. Glenn had heard of Hemingway. <laughs> the book about some old guy fishing, right? Kim, Glenn, and I polished off a few more mojitos and clinked glasses to Ernest, to me, to them, to the old guy fishing. They seemed very much in love, and I felt guilty for lying to them. On my last day in Cuba, I finally went into the ocean. But I didn't go in as the marketing executive from Texas or the writer from Destination <laughs> or as Ernie the Hemingway fanboy. I've thought a lot about what might have been different if she did come to that cafe. But I never really knew exactly what I wanted from this. Nor did I ever have any idea what I would actually say. I mean, what would you say to someone knowing that it was probably the last time you would ever see them? There were high winds making big waves. I would sit there with my coffee for an hour or more. You'd walk in and not order anything and sit across from me. We'd be silent for a long moment. The waves started coming one after the other, and I jumped through them and over them until one hit me like a fist and pulled me under. I'm sorry that I couldn't be the person you wanted. What is making this difficult for me is that there's nothing to point to. No one cheated, no real fights, no throwing of things. Nothing to focus my anger or hurt at except that you're gone. Under the surface, my mouth filled with water, the wind was knocked out of me. I'm not here to convince you to stay if you're not happy. This is what I try and do. I try and make people happy. But I can't control someone else's happiness. There's more to a relationship, and, I, and who I am as a person is not what you want. I tried to adapt and fit into what you desired, but in doing this, I didn't give you what was important. I couldn't give you what, what you needed from me. And I understand that someone can fall silently and incrementally out of love one day at a time. And it's not their fault, it's no one's fault. I decided to move with the water instead of against it, and I let the waves carry me into shore a bit, and then I stood allowing them just to crash into me, and I stood until the wind died down and the waves slowed and settled, gracefully touched the palms of my outstretched hand, and I let the water flow around me, and I let go, I want to let go, I just want to let you go. Thank you. I'm Brianne. You can follow me on Twitter at Venice B. I'm Paul. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeffrey Paul Dorr. And I'm Stefan. You can follow me on Twitter on at, 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 at Steho underscore. Thanks to Rayana for the theme music to this podcast. You can find out more about her in the show notes or at rayana.ca. This episode of Stories and Own Tales brought to you by Storybread. 
Story Bread, because sometimes you want to be the cheese. <laughs>